Hey, good morning once again. Today we are continuing, actually concluding a teaching series that we've been in over the last six weeks called Free to Be, where we've been walking week by week, chapter by chapter, through the New Testament book of Galatians. Uh, in this book, originally a letter written by a pastor, Paul, uh, he's addressing a young congregation and he's pleading with them. He, he's pleading with them not to buy into this lie that life is all about keeping the law, that life is all about performing and perfecting and proving yourself uh, either to God or anybody else. Instead, he, he reminds them, he, he calls them to remember the message that he had originally shared with them, the message that had made them followers of Jesus and formed this little church. It, it was a simple but profound message. It's what we call the gospel. And the message is this, you are saved, you are loved, you are accepted, you are welcomed into God's family, not through performance, not through perfection, not by proving yourself or earning anything, but solely through faith, faith alone in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That's it. And because of that, you're free. You're free from having to prove and perform and do anything for God or anybody else. You're free. And in this closing chapter of this book, Paul turns his attention to focus on the impact that this freedom has on our relationships. Uh, specifically, his, his big idea in the closing chapter of Galatians is this, that a life of law-keeping makes you conceited, but the gospel frees you for compassion. A life of law-keeping, of performing and proving, makes you conceited, but the gospel frees you for a life of compassion. Uh, earlier this year, uh, my family and I were able to take a trip uh, out to the Rocky Mountains, and one of the many places we stopped during our vacation was at the Continental Divide. And it was really cool standing in the spot where, where everything flows from the Continental Divide. You're standing on the top of a mountain range, and it's, it's interesting standing there knowing that, that on one side of that mountain range, everything flows ultimately to the Pacific Ocean, and on the other side, everything its way eventually down to the Gulf. It's, it's the dividing line from which all things flow. Uh, when I say conceited, when I say conceit, uh, what I mean is not vanity. Uh, is this desire to like look in every mirror that you can, right? It's, it's, a, it's a supreme focus on your appearance. It's also known as having a teenage daughter. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, hang around a teenage girl and they will find any reflective surface they possibly can to just check on themselves and see how they're doing. Now, vanity is different from conceit. They often get mixed up. Vanity's focused on appearance. Conceit is an obsession with yourself where you think that you are, so to speak, the continental divide. That everything in life flows to you and from you. It's a reflection of you that everything is somehow connected to you. You believe that you're the center of everything. And, and what Paul says is that this kicks up all kinds of unhelpful fruit in our lives, which, which I'll get to in a second. But, but you know that this is true. Uh, you, you know that you and I wrestle with this whole idea of conceit. Uh, Paul says that it, it kicks up all kinds of unhelpful things in our lives. Uh, for example, at the end of chapter 5, this is what he says. He says, let us not then become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Uh, when the substance of our lives becomes about doing and performing and being enough, being enough for ourselves, being enough for the people 
around us, being enough for God, being enough for my spouse, being enough for my kids, being enough for my, my peer group, being enough for my boss. It, it ends up being a life that's ultimately about you. You see everything and every person as a chance, as an opportunity to gauge yourself. How am I doing? How is their responsibility a reflection of me? How am I in relation to them? Am I better? Am I worse? Am I succeeding? Am I failing? It, it turns everything into a competition of sorts, which Paul says ends up in provocation and envy. Another way to talk about this is comparison. A life of conceit ultimately leads to a life of comparison, where, where you look at everybody else and you, you hold yourself against them. And as I said, you know you struggle with this. I do. I mean, you walk into somebody's house for the first time and you immediately think, oh, well, it's, it's bigger or it's smaller or it's cleaner than mine. Or you meet someone's children for the first time and you think, oh, they're quieter or better behaved or cleaner than mine. You see someone's, someone's uh, presentation at work and you think, oh, it's, it's shorter or it's longer or it's funnier than mine. We're constantly comparing, which flows from this whole conceited attitude that is given birth out of the belief that life is about performing and perfecting and improving. And, and I'm not exempt from this by being a pastor, not at all. Uh, case in point, let me share something with you, and I will, I will give you fair warning that this is like supremely petty, okay? Um, earlier this week, I saw a social media post from a friend of mine, a fellow pastor, and he posted on social media, very innocently, that, that he has two books coming out this year. Two books. And my first thought was not, oh, congrats for my friend. He's got two books coming out this year. My first thought was, I don't have two books coming out. How in the world did he write two books? Well, what is he doing right and I'm doing wrong that he's able to pastor a church and also write two books? And then here's how messed up I am. I then began to think about things that I'm pretty sure he's not doing well in his life in order to make myself feel better. I thought to myself, well, yeah, he, he, he wrote two books this year, but, but he probably doesn't exercise as much as me. So, you know, write a couple books, but die young. Fine, have at it. Like, isn't that awful? That's where my mind goes. That's what happens when a life of performance becomes a life of conceit. Everything's ultimately about me, a reflection on me. Then everyone and everything becomes a competition and the comparison. And it leads, as Paul says, to provocation and envy and all kinds of dysfunctional, destructive, corrosive stuff in our lives. Where have you seen the destructive power of conceit and comparison in your life this week? compared yourself to? And what has that stirred up in you? And what has it produced in you? It's ugly, isn't it? Now, what Paul says in chapter 6 is that, of course, followers of Jesus have been free from this life of conceit that leads to comparison. We've, set free, we've been set free for something better. What he says is we've been set free for a life not of, of comparison, but a life of compassion. We've been set free for a life of compassion. Here's how he puts it at the beginning of chapter 6. He, he says this, Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. You who are spiritual is an interesting turn of phrase. 
And Paul is hearkening back to chapter 5 when he uses that phrase. Here's what he means by it. When he says, you who are spiritual, what he means is, you who are a part of God's family, who have a keen awareness of what Jesus Christ has done for you. You who are walking through life well aware that you are a hot mess covered in a heap of mercy. You who understand that you are right with God and that the opinions of others don't ultimately matter much in this world, that you have everything you need through the work of Jesus Christ. You who are spiritual are freed from this game of constant conceit and comparison that goes nowhere. You're freed from that for something better, a life of compassion. You're freed to see the people around you, your coworker, your cousin, your own kid, not as someone to gauge your self-worth with or to use as a tool to prop up your awesomeness or to compare yourself against. You're free to just see the people around you to be loved and to show them compassion. And then Paul paints a, a, a strong picture of what that life of compassion is supposed to be like. He, he says we are to be the kind of people who are so focused outside of ourselves because the freedom we have that we're able to notice when people around us are, as he would say, caught in a transgression, which is just a a, a biblical kind of churchy way to say someone for whom the, the sinfulness in their own life or the sinfulness and brokenness of the world has, has done a number on their life. Uh, the brokenness of the world has broken them in some capacity. You are to be so others-oriented that you're able to notice when other people's lives are caught up and struggling and broken. And then he says, you are to restore them with the spirit of gentleness. Uh, what's interesting there to me is that that word in Greek that's used for restore can also be translated as resetting, as in like resetting a bone that is broken. And so what he's setting, saying is, you notice someone's struggles and then you, you jump to the middle of it with them and you help them reset, reform fix what's broken. And if you ever had to have a broken bone reset, that you know that it is a terribly painful and difficult process, one that can't be done on your own. You need the help of somebody else. It's difficult, it's painful, it takes others, but it is ultimately helpful. You're to be the one who sees it, joins in with them, and helps them go through that painful but necessary and beautiful process. In fact, he says that you are to get so involved with the broken and struggling people around you that you have to be careful not to get caught up in all of their dysfunction. Now, now that, is, that is as much an opportunity and an invitation as it is a thing. Paul is saying, you are so free in Christ. You are free to get so close to broken, messed up people that that you might get some of their brokenness and mess and problems all over you. So be mindful of that. But, but you, should, you should hear those words as less of a warning and more as an invitation, an empowering word from Paul. What, what he's saying is that you don't have to worry about where you stand with God. You don't have to worry about the reputations of other people. You can dive in with people who are hurting and just help them. Just help them. You know, people who don't have to worry about their reputation, earn their righteousness, are free to love in all of 
the messy and difficult but most transformative ways. Choose that, Paul says. In reading Paul's words, uh, the, the image that comes to mind for me is, is helping a friend move. Uh, certainly, you've, you've helped somebody move before. And nobody helps anyone move because they love carrying other people's stuff. Like, like that, that's no one's motivation. No, you, you help someone move because you're, you're overwhelmed with a sense of compassion for them. And not just like a, a feeling of compassion, but compassion that wants to take action. And so you agree to help unload the truck and truck it up three flights of stairs into their new apartment. You choose to help them move knowing that, that your only reward will be warm beer and cold pizza. You choose to help somebody move knowing that, that you'll get sweaty and tired on a work night. You choose to help someone move knowing somebody else might walk by or drive by and think that it was your dumb idea to to a three-flight walk-up in the middle of a Texas summer. You, you help them move knowing that you're going to have to put part of their oversized couch on your shoulder, lift it up, and tweak your back. Yes. Keep that image in your mind, and then listen again to what Paul says. Paul says, bear one another's burdens. What he means is, you saddle up next to the person, and you put some of their stuff, you put a bit of their couch on your shoulder. You got to get close to them. You got to get messy with them. You got to feel the weight of their problem on you, and you help them move forward. You help them move out of an anxiety attack, out of addiction, out of a dysfunctional relationship, out of fits of anger and rage. You help them move out of whatever they're under by carrying it with them and walking with them. Quick moment of reflection. Have you ever had anybody do that for you? Like when you were at like your, your worst and lowest moment, someone didn't just say they'd pray for you or they didn't just say, oof, that stinks. Bless your heart, as we say here in Texas. But, but they actually got in the middle of it with you and put some of it in their hands and on their shoulders and they, and they walked with you. Have you ever had somebody do that with you, for you? Those who are nodding their head yes right now, like, wasn't that the most incredible gift? Someone joining you in your pain, carrying it just for a moment with you. Not worried about how you look. Unconcerned about what it did to their reputation or the time it took away from them. Or how it got in the way of the things they wanted to do and accomplish. They just with you. Wasn't that powerful? What Paul is saying, what God is saying through Paul is that that's the life he set all of us free for. Compassion over comparison. I want that phrase to be turning around in your heart and mind. Compassion over comparison. You have that choice compassion over comparison. And what's interesting to me, according to Paul, is when, when, you, when you make that choice as a follower of Jesus to choose compassion, to side with and walk with those who are hurting, rather than compete with and compare all the time, actually, is what he says is you fulfill the law. Listen again to what he says. He says this. 
bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now remember, he, he spent this entire letter telling us that life was not about law-keeping. He spent this entire letter telling us that life was not about proving or perfecting or performing at all. It's already done through Jesus Christ. You're right with God and have nothing to prove to anybody else. But then he says, you choose compassion over comparison. That's the moment where you actually hit the mark. That's the moment where you meet all the expectations. That's the moment where you live according to your design in great, in great pleasure to the Father and benefit to others. That's the moment where you fulfill the law. Not the law as the super religious define it. Not the law as the woke police define it. Not the law as, as the moms in your, in your homeschool co-op define it. No, the law as Jesus defines it. And how does Jesus define it? John chapter 15, he defines it like this. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Every time you choose compassion over comparison, you are choosing love. And every time you choose compassion over comparison to get in to the dirt with somebody, you are doing for them a little bit of what Jesus Christ has done for you. Because do not forget, my friend, Jesus Christ has helped you move. And he carried it all. He saw your mess, your struggle, and he got down into it with you. He came into this world and he put himself underneath the weight of all the stuff that you carry with you to the point where other people thought he was part of the problem. He had some of the same problems, but he didn't. He was just there to help you with yours. He came into this world and he put all of your stuff on his shoulders to the point where it, it led to his death, his demise, but then he rose out of it and he announced that you are free from having to carry it, be owned by it, be judged by it, measured by it. You are free. And what he says now to you is you you, you use your freedom not to compete and compare. That game is done, but for compassion. Because that is what he has done for you. I'm not going to say that it's easy. It's a battle our entire lives. We, we, want, we want to live in conceit and constantly compare, but we, mar, we are constantly, by the gospel, called out of it to compassion compassion over comparison. Paul ends this letter with a, with a seemingly strange analogy. It kind of comes there, but, but one that we can relate to nonetheless. He talks about sowing and reaping at the end of chapter 6. He talks about planting seeds and then waiting for a harvest. I mean, who hasn't planted a seed? Everybody can relate to that. Uh, in fact, here's a picture of my son, Jack. <laughs> Earlier this year, he planted a seed uh, in a pot on our back porch, and we told him that it would grow into a flower if he waited. And so he sat there, and he waited. Uh, we, we took that picture back in May, and I think he's still waiting. What seeds are you planting with your life of freedom, follower of Jesus? You, you don't have to plant seeds of compassion. I think you should. You can. But, but you don't have to. You can, you can use your freedom to still play this game that's, that's dead and dumb. But, but take Paul's warning. If you, if you sow seeds of competition, comparison, and conceit, you will reap a harvest of competition, comparison, and conceit. You will reap envy and strife and anxiety and busyness and pride and worry, which all sounds like weeds to me. I mean, best case scenario, you... You reap a harvest of, 
of earthly, worldly success, all of which will flower for a moment, but, but be uprooted from the ground the moment you die and are buried in it. But if you sow seeds of love, it will reap a harvest that the world needs and the Lord says lasts forever. This week, may you, be, may you be open to wrestling with this question. Who around me needs compassion? Who is, who is crippling under the weight of dysfunction? Who is being strangled by struggle? Who's being crushed by their couch of dysfunction and crazy? Who? Open your eyes to see. Take your eyes off the mirror. Lift them off of yourself to see the hurting world around you. Ask that question. May your eyes be open. If your eyes lock on someone who is struggling, may you resist the urge to compare and use their struggle as a chance to prop yourself up, but instead, may you look at them, may your eyes lock on them, and may you fulfill the law by doing for them just a little bit of what Jesus Christ has already done for you. Show compassion to them. Carry a bit of the couch with them. Love them. That's what we use our freedom for. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this, this is a difficult battle. It's so difficult that Paul had to write an entire letter to an ancient church and God had to see fit for it to be given to us. We want life to be a competition. We want it to be all about us. We want every river, every stream to flow to us and from us and be, we want life to be about us proving and perfecting and earning. But as Paul's taught us in this letter, that gets us nowhere. It just harms others and frustrates us. Father, help us to soak in the freedom that we have through Jesus and help us to disengage from the, the destructive game of conceit that leads to comparison. And help us instead to be moved toward more compassion. To join someone in their struggle this week. Unworried about how it makes us look. Or whether or not it earns your favor. Knowing that we have all we need in Jesus Christ. Amen.